The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Morning, Doxa. The scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 22. We're going to be reading from verses 39 through 42, and also from verses 54 through 65. If you there's some Bibles under the chairs. If you could pull those out, it's on page 882, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was looking at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. This has been God's word. Let me open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, these words. Um, Lord, I thank you for making us uncomfortable with your words, um, that, that when we see some things in your word, we cringe. Uh, we thank you that through the power of your spirit, we have a conscience today, that uh, we can be convicted, uh, that we can be repentant, and that we can rejoice in being united with you. I pray uh, you'll open our hearts and our minds, our ears to what you have to say to each of us individually, and that this morning be to your glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is not a passage I would ever sign up for. I get that out of the starting gate. It's like, no, no, Randy, you can take this one, can't you? Um, and uh, circumstances kind of worked their way around where I... I didn't feel like I had a lot of choice. And that's a good thing because, again, if I had choice, I don't think I'd be standing up here this morning. Um, I want to give you a little um, overview where we're going this morning. And, and I've captioned this teaching this morning, are we really that bad? And that's in caps. Are we really that bad? And I'm not sure about you, but I'm not, right? I'm not that. We can always point to somebody else. Not that bad. I haven't dropped the ball that way. And so the three sections we're going to cover, the first section is Jesus prayed 
and betrayed. I have catchy words. I don't know why this came up. This, I feel like I'm back in VSF again. Jesus prayed and betrayed. That's Luke 22, 39 through 53. So he prays and betrayed, is betrayed. Uh, the second section is um, Peter denied and cried. Again, you got to go with that. I'm sorry. It's uh, 54 to 62. That's Peter denied and cried. In uh, the third section, Jesus insulted and exalted. And that is Luke uh, 22, 63 through 71. So Jesus insulted and exalted. And um, 63 to 71. So in our church homepage, and if you're not familiar with Docs, I tell you go and fish around on our church homepage. Great stuff. But one of the things on our church homepage under about, if you click down, it's what we believe. Um, and item three tells us this. We believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. In union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under his wrath. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. And that, that's part of our statement of faith. Um, and, and sometimes you look at these things and say, do, do we really buy that? That in union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice. And that's, some, that's not socially, um, in, in our culture today, that is not embraced. You'll have a lot of people, oh no, people are good, they're inherently good. Our default isn't some toxic, sinful, depraved setting. It's people, people get along, they work things out. You don't have to expect the worst. This is very contrary to that mentality in our culture. It means this, by nature, it means we, are, we come prepackaged with a sin nature. The programming is in place when you drop out of the womb. And by choice, meaning that even if I wasn't born with it, I would choose it. And that's, that's not comfortable. To say my default setting, if I'm left to my own device, is, oh, holiness or sin? No, 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 I'll skip the holiness. I'll take the sin. Alex for 500. I'll take the sin. So do we really believe that? That human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God under his wrath. So let me ask a couple questions just to make a couple points, and I'm going to kind of weave this through this morning, this truth about sin being inherent and by choice. Um, have you ever done something or said something really hurtful to another person and have no clue where it came from? Or like it comes out of your mouth and you go, that's horrible. And, and, it, and it's not even, you just kind of scratch your head. I didn't plan on saying this. And there it is. It, it just it comes out. Have you ever screamed or possibly cursed at one of your children or maybe a parent? Me too. I've done it. Um, you know, it's funny. My mom's here this morning, and I remember an event unsaved where I kicked her car while she was in it and screamed at the car. And so I was talking with my mom one time, and I, and I was talking. Do you remember this? And she goes, no, I have no recall of it. Yet it's seared in my conscience. I've screamed at my kids and laced it with a couple choice words. Where does that come from? You know, you can be frustrated. Okay, you're frustrated and tired, but it still doesn't justify what comes out of your mouth. It's, it's not, it doesn't correlate appropriately with, with the behavior and the response. Have you 
Have you ever just thought it in your heart? Skip the words. They didn't come out. You caught yourself. And, and you know what you do when you catch yourself? You know, I have a tongue that can trim a hedge. And so when, when sometimes words come, I go, oh, those are really hurtful, spiteful words. No, I'll forego that. I don't want to have to go back and tell my wife I'm sorry. I just, I, I, my pride is worse. The deterrent isn't holiness and honoring God. It's saying, I don't want to have to go back and apologize. Because you know you have to if you want any peace in your home that day. So I keep my mouth shut. Is there any real difference? It's simply a reflection of the state of my heart and a little bit slipped and a little didn't. But it still reflects the state of my heart. Have you ever done something to another person in retaliation and overshoot the mark? And realize you overshot, in word or deed, and realize you overshot the, shot the mark. You're like, oh, I didn't mean it to be that bad. And then you justify in your heart they deserved it anyway. You ever done that? You too? How many of us, thinking about the inherent nature of sin, have had to go to great lengths to train our children to lie and smack their siblings? You ever have to do that? Well, you should hit them hard next time when they do that. When they bite you, you're allowed to just one time get them good. You know, it's, it's funny. Grace is here. I can pick on my family this morning. She grabbed Hudson one day and just, just waylaid him. I'm like, and she was probably four, maybe three. Little children are violent, and we don't get it from Tom and Jerry, by the way. It doesn't come from Tom. Don't blame it on the cartoons. That's not fair. The little children, if you ever wonder about the inherent nature of sin, put a nice toy between two of them and see how they resolve the dispute. It's never with peace. There's violence, and they, and they jump quickly to it. And the only reason we don't is because we don't like wearing handcuffs. You know, we don't like being dressed in orange. I mean, the deterrent isn't real virtuous. It's practical. We don't want to be humiliated. Imagine the state of humanity, and the church for that matter, if there were no laws to enforce bad behavior. So if you really, somebody ticks you off, you just clock them. No penalty, no pun, no, police won't come. You're not going to go to jail, not be dressed up in orange. It won't show up on the um, little uh, book of bandits at the convenience store where they show everyone that was arrested in the last 24 hours. None of that. And we won't shame and disgrace you for clocking them once. We'll compliment you. How many of us, would, this place would turn into a free-for-all. And maybe I'm overshooting it a little. But I only note the words a little, by the way. You know, the, the structure of our culture imposes on us, at some level, appropriate behaviors, and that's a good thing. Have you ever hoped somebody would be severely injured? Have you ever just thought, I'd like them to break a leg? I don't, don't, they don't have to die, just suffer. Are we really sinners by choice and by birth? And I guess that's the question we each have to ask. And it boils down to this. Maybe you're right, but am I really that bad? And we're going to see a little picture of that this morning. And I'm going to roll quickly. I want to give a disclaimer before I get going. The Gethsemane, what takes place in the garden, I am glossing this morning. The, uh, a theological mountain. It, there's been books... And treatises written about what took place in the garden when Jesus knelt down to pray, Father, if it not be your will, remove this. If it be your will, remove this cup. That, that is a huge, um, you could spend a lot of time there. And I would tell you it's something to kick around once in a while, to go back and look at that. Maybe, um, you know, Good Friday, spend some time. Just type online Gethsemane, suffering, agony, 
holiness of God. Just a couple key words, and what's going to follow is really unbelievable, and I don't, I don't have that woven into where we're going. So we open up this morning with the closing events of last week. Jesus has finished his last uh, Passover with his disciples. The evening started out with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. They celebrate the meal. Jesus foretells the betrayal of Judas, predicts Peter's denial, and after the meal, the meal they sing a hymn, and they went out to the location that they had traditionally played in. We pick up in Luke 22, verses 39 and 40. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, this is that garden called Gethsemane. Um, according to Matthew, Jesus had broken off from the majority of the disciples, took Peter, they say the sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, and he goes further into the garden. And it's interesting, Jesus' request, Matthew notes that Jesus asked them to stay here and keep watch, because obviously um, there was reason for that, and we'll find out shortly. But Luke only notes one request, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And the problem is, is when things become tough, where do we go? It's, it's just, if you're stressed, if you're tired, if you're worn out, temptation is three clicks closer. It's, it's all three steps in when we're at that place where we're struggling. Um, and I hope, like Dale said, that sometimes we can own our sin and we can own where we are more susceptible to sin. Um, we all can identify those places very easily, by the way, if you step back and just say, where, where do I justify? It's a good word. Or rationalize or give extra leeway for my sin. And we all have those places. You don't have them pray about it or talk to me afterwards. I'll show you. No, I'm joking about that. Don't do that. I don't want, I'm not there. I'm not in this business. Uh, 41 through 46, and he withdrew from a stone's throw. Now, if you have a good arm, it varies here. We're not sure. But he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven and strengthening him. And that's pretty amazing because you can tell there's, there was one, only one other time where he required angels to strengthen him, and that, that was in the 40 days in the introduction of his ministry. You know it's a long day when the angels show up and attend to Christ and his struggling. The angel from heaven showed up, strengthened him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he re rehashes this. From the other Gospels, we know um, that it was the tryptophan from the lamb that they had for dinner that put him to sleep. You know that, right? That was in John, right? No, there's no tryptophan in lamb. Get over that. Come on. You guys got to stay awake this morning. <laughs> Where does this stuff come from? I'm writing my notes. L-tryptophan from the lamb? No, because this is madness. It's in my notes. I'm not lying about this. <laughs> At probably the most trying time in Jesus' life, his disciples fall asleep. You try to put this in context. You're driving down the interstate with your kids in the backseat. You're going 75 miles an hour, and you fall asleep at the wheel. That's the closest I can get to this. It's catastrophic in miscalculation, in error, in dropping the ball. 
Jesus was with just a few hours left to live, has his disciples falling asleep. At the hour of his greatest need and temptation, his disciples are sleeping. Talk about dropping the ball. And when Jesus awakes, he wakes up his disciples. He could have said, how could you? How could you have fallen asleep? He simply says, rise, rise and pray. And, I, and, and, I, and let me say this, and I, and I don't have the time to spend here, but if you drop the ball, rise and pray. Move on. What Satan wants to do is corner you and beat the stuffing out of you and tell you you're, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, you're no, you're no good ministry, you're unqualified, now sit there, sulk, and, and be sorry, but certainly don't rise, and God forbid, be reconciled through prayer to your father. I had a, guy, a mentor tell me early on in my spiritual life, the, the sooner you can rise and pray, the sooner you'll be reconciled to move about your business and life with the Lord. Rise and pray. Heave ho. Verse 47, and while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and a man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? This, when you think about humanity, this inherent sinful human nature, or by choice, I don't care how you slice this. How could one of Jesus' own disciples betray him? Judas, how could you? How could you obey the Lord with a kiss? You know, I used to fret over, you know, the fallen nature of our world and what a mess this place really is. But knowing, knowing that human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, I'm shocked it's not worse, truthfully. Truthfully, if you really think it through, we're doing pretty good, in my opinion, compared to where we should be. And that's a horrifying thought. But I really feel that way today when I look around knowing the inherent, that, that, that humanity, what we are capable of doing. And certainly history confirms that, by the way. Let me give you a principle. Man's depravity has no boundaries. Man's depravity has no boundaries. Just a couple of principles. All my principles, actually, this morning. And principle is just a little piece of truth to hang your hat on. Something to tuck in your pocket and take it home. Something to refresh your mind that when you see something happen, you go, oh, he just cut them off and flipped the bird and tried to run them off the road. Oh, well, that's okay. Give them a pass. Man's depravity knows no boundaries. They're lucky they didn't get run off the road or shot. You know, it's, it's, and it's, it's not to be facetious. It's just a statement of the reality that concerns our existence. Man's depravity has no boundaries. And that is proof in the question, would you betray the Son of Man? with a kiss. Really? The son of man? You see, our sin knows no limits. Do we see our sin in our sin in this particular way? Do we really get it that this sin, once you feed this thing, it, there are no parameters. All bets are off. Sin will let us destroy our body the lives of our loved ones, and even future generations. Sin convinces me that I can exalt myself in spite of the fact that there's a God over all things. Sin tells me I'm the most important person in history. Not just today, come on. History for good. And now, I don't think that. 
But if you watch me, watch my behavior, do I act like I'm the most important person in the room? Am I more concerned with the words coming out of my mouth than the words coming out of your mouth? There are very simple things to figure out where we all fall into the pecking order. Most of us simply have an agenda that use other people as convenience to entertain us, to, to exalt us, to fulfill us, to give us something in return. How many relationships do we have? There's no agenda behind the relationship. And again, I'm not saying there, there shouldn't be expectations in certain relationships. Sin always costs more than we're willing to pay and takes us further than we intend. That's a great statement. I'm, I stole it. Sin is always based on lies. Always based on lies. It won't hurt me. It won't offend God. It affects no one else. That's a painful thought. What is, your, what, is, what is our sin convincing us of? What are the lies that come with our sin? You know, I think about the biggest lie, me personally, and it's that my sin tells me I can't change. I'm stuck. I have to live with it. You can't change, Jonathan. There's no, some people are just born this way. Some people are wired that way. You have a predisposition. You know, just live with it. That's a horrifying statement. But it's the lie that I hear. It's the lie. How many of us would betray? Think about this in our secular world. How many, how, how many people in the secular world would betray their family or friend for a promotion on the job? I mean, it's just, and I'm not saying us here. Just, just horrifying what Judas does. And when, they, and, and when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Now, the guy's on his toes. He at least is woken up at this point. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut his right ear off. This was Malchus. I believe it was Peter. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking it was Peter, but I know it was Malchus's ear. You know, it's interesting because he was aiming to kill the guy. Because if I take a sword out and swing it at your head, what do you do? You come to one or the other sides and it caught him. You know, they wanted to shut the guy down. It catches him, takes his ear off. And, but Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders, who just witnessed the ear come off and come back on, by the way, who had come out against him when I was with you day after day in the temple? Why did you not lay hands on me? But this is your hour, the power of darkness. And what Jesus basically said is, why, why now? And sometimes the best questions bring the most painful answers. Because what they wanted to do, they couldn't do in the day for fear of retaliation of the people against him because the people believed a lot of what Jesus was saying. And they feared their own hide. They feared an uprising, so they do it at night. And again, when you think about that, that this concept of sin, if I can't do it in the day, well, let the lights go out. We can try it again then. Nobody will be watching. I mean, the madness, what changes? Nothing except our perception as to who's watching or who may find out. This is not a comfortable teaching for me. Man's depravity has no boundaries. So if, if you can't sin in the day, we'll try it at night. And that's... Um, just, just upsetting when I think about that. Verses 54 through 55, they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. We know they took him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Um, this was the teacher of the law. Um, the same Caiaphas who had previously advised the Jewish leaders 
that it would be good for one man to die for the people. That was John 18, 14. And Peter followed at a distance. This, this Caiaphas is a piece of work. Um, I'd like to ask Caiaphas a question. If, if we're going to kill somebody uh, for the good of the people, could we start with your son or daughter maybe? Or maybe you could just volunteer to die. It, it's an amazing situation here because what we see, with Caiaphas, we'd be better off if we were dead, by the way. But Caiaphas wasn't concerned about the good of the people. Caiaphas was concerned about keeping his job and simply taps a label onto the horrible motive for wanting to kill an innocent man. And how many things do we do where we tack a pretense onto our behavior? Underneath, there's something different going on, by the way, but we label it differently. The principle, I'm going I'm to go back to this in a minute, man's depravity is fear-based, Man's depravity is fear-based. And it tells you where Caiaphas' fear took him. His fear of losing his status quo would allow him to justify the murder of an innocent man. And if you don't think sin is inherent in a human being with a picture of this guy on the cover, I don't know what can convince us otherwise. But to say somebody should die so I can keep my job is a pretty horrifying statement. Yet that is exactly, exactly what happens here. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Servant girl, seeing him, sat in the light, looked closely at him and said, this, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I, I am not. And after the interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he Two is a Galilean. Now, we can tell if you're from Ainer, by the way. How do we know? We can tell if you're from New Jersey, right? Or Brooklyn in particular. How do we know? You simply the way you speak. And they're saying, a Galilean? We can pick this guy out of a lineup. Just open up your mouth, Peter. But Peter said, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out. And wept bitterly. So why did Peter lie? Why did Peter deny Christ? Very simply, he was afraid of what man was going to do to him. I mean, very, this, this is ABCs of fear. Peter was fearful that Jesus could no longer protect him. He was fearful of being tortured and killed. Those are all, it's all fair. That's if he's going to own it. And you know what is behind every lie? Peter lied three times. You know what's behind the lies, fear of the truth. Peter lied because he was afraid of telling the truth. So let me ask this question. Why do we lie? We are afraid of telling the truth. Fear tells us that we will either lose what we have or we won't get what we want if we embrace the truth. Let me say it again. Fear tells us we will either lose what we have or won't get what we want if we embrace the truth. And in the final analysis, fear is the result of rejecting God's word. How much fear flows in our lives from not taking God at his word? And the solution, there's more to this than I'm going to say here. But one of the solutions for the fear is simply more time with God and his word. And, and I can prove this to you because in his word we find love. And 1 John 4.18 tells us this. This is a great, right? 1 John 4.18, look it up later. This is, this is a, just a memory verse. 1 John 4.18 tells us there is no fear in love. None. But perfect love drives out 
fear. The fear, fear has to go when that love is present because fear has to do with punishment. And the closer we are with Christ, the, the, the truth of being redeemed, of being restored, of being reconciled is all the more present. So what keeps us up at night or causes us to lie to ourselves or others? And I'm making the assumption we're all liars. And if you're not telling the truth, if, if, you're, if you're lying, for, you're a liar for not admitting you're a liar, right? Now, some of you say, well, I only tell half-truths. And half-truths are whole lies, if you do the math correctly. Just a thought. The real problem with lies, we don't even see them until it's time with the Lord. See, until Christ looked at Peter, Peter was thinking he's doing fine. You ever tell somebody a lie and they look at you like you're kidding? You come up with a better one. Tell your face to at least bluff me now. Have you ever done that? I mean, I have. The guy I was discipling one time, who was discipling me, I said something to him, he looks at me, and I realized the look on his face is like, he didn't believe me. And he goes, what did you say? And I say it again, and he looks at me like he didn't believe me. And I said, you don't believe me? He goes, no, I don't. You're lying. And it's at that moment the light comes on. I'm lying. What does it take for us to just find the truth? Should we bag it and staple it to your behind and let you sit on it so you say, ooh, there's something underneath me, let me find it? That's my experience at times with the lies I tell myself. There's something uncomfortable here. Oh, yeah, it's a lie, Jonathan. You're sitting on it. It's relatively sharp. And it's in your flesh. And you've been lying that you don't even hurt. You want, to, you want to come to a place where you can find something about the truth. Set some time aside with God. Get quiet with God and ask God to reveal to you where you're lying, not to others. That's, that's incidental, where we're lying to ourselves. Maybe this coming into Easter, we can prepare our hearts to come with a clear picture of ourselves to the cross. And the good news here is that when we find the lie and can identify it, meaning we find the truth, what does the truth do? 100% out of the time. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And you'll be free indeed. You can be, it's okay to be a liar and love the Lord. Isn't that a nice thing? Just be okay. Own it. And know his grace is sufficient. Peter, how could you? How could you deny me? You ever think about that? 63 and 64, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody and mocking him as they beat him, they also blindfolded him, kept asking him, prophesy, who is that that struck you? And they said many things against him, blaspheming him. And if you want to wonder about the world again we live in, these are sick and deranged men. This is an innocent man. He hasn't been convicted of anything at this point. And this is what humanity does to amuse themselves. Uh, the, the, the truth here, the principle here is man's depravity has no regard for the truth. Man's depravity is no regard for the truth. And again, I hope that we can take some of this away to understand who we're dealing with when we deal with humanity. It's just own it. Just acknowledge it. We don't always see the full extent of man's sin until moral men leave the room. Until, somebody with God, until the godly influence leaves, we, have, we don't see this. 
66 through 71, and the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him to their council and said, if you are the Christ, tell us. Well, it wouldn't make a difference. They didn't believe a word he has said anyway. They didn't see the air get popped back on. They didn't see Lazarus walking around. They didn't see the blind receive their sight. They didn't see the feeding of the 5,000. They didn't see the leper cleansed. What else do you need? But he said to them, I tell you the truth, you will not believe. Okay? And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And that's him being exalted now. And they said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. All right, so he doesn't admit that according to this passage. You say that I am. And they respond by saying, oh, there's this testimony. We'll accept him repeating us as his testimony against himself. So he acknowledges What we just said, and we use that against him, although it's not his words, it's our words that he's reciting to us. And he said to them, you say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his lips. And having heard this truth, these men, just like all other men who walk the earth, will be held accountable for being given the truth. Human beings are sinners by nature and by choice. And I guess I ask this question, do we need more evidence? Have I presented enough here? Whether it's from his followers or for his the the, the people who are not following him. It it blew me away when I started putting this together to think. You know, one thing comes from a secular godless society, but these were his followers. Have you ever considered how his disciples felt the day after Jesus was crucified? Just from his inner circle in the 24 hours prior to his death, they were consumed with exalting themselves over each other. They fell asleep at the Lord's greatest hour of need. They betrayed him, they denied him, they abandoned him, and not one came to his defense. And with friends like this, we don't need enemies, right? Just think that through. These were the disciples who walked with Jesus, who heard his teachings, who saw him walk on water, rebuke the wind, rebuke the waves, witnessed the feeding of the 5,000, watched the dead raised to life. Peter, James, and John saw him transfigured and in the presence of Moses and Elijah. So are we that bad? How different are we than his disciples? How often have we fallen asleep at the spiritual wheel? Have you ever had somebody ask you to pray about truly a big deal, a really important need, and you forget to pray? It's my hand I'm raising. At the end of the day, they're like, and then you wind up, somebody had a a horrible turn for the worse, and I forgot to pray. Oh my gosh. How could we fail somebody in such a time of need? Ever been to church and fall asleep? I don't know if it's much different from the garden, but I think there are parallels, right? Staying up, watching Netflix till three in the morning. This is is a place where we come before a holy God to collectively acknowledge him and him alone for his provision, his power, his majesty, his holiness, and I'm snoring. Ever exalt, ever use a good work to exalt oneself where we smugly compliment ourselves for doing God's work? How could we use the Lord's enterprises for personal gain? And even if it's not an external, have you ever complimented yourself? You utilize 
something he did to exalt ourselves. And whether it's in my eyes or your eyes, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Have we ever sinned knowing his grace would be sufficient to cover it? <laughs> I mean, I'm not happy preparing these questions. I mean, let's go back 48 hours. I'll give you a week. If you're like me, I'll go back 24 hours and have a list. Just in my heart. Have you ever had a, stand, a, choice, a chance excuse me, to stand up for Christ and you kept your mouth shut? Tell me what the difference is between saying I don't know him and keeping your mouth shut. And I don't think there's a lot at the end of the day, me personally. Ever see somebody in need financially and refuse to do anything about it? Because it's my money and not yours. Have we ever been profoundly blessed by another and walked away and forgot to say thank you? It's just a simple thank you. Words cost nothing. And we have the full, not only, you know, we, we could punish the disciples, but we have the full revelation of God through his word and are indwelt with the power of his Holy Spirit, and we still can't carry our own weight. So are we really that bad? Well, I'll give you the Romans chapter 3 version. tells us, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Yet in this hour, in this power of darkness, we see God take on human flesh. We see Jesus who had no sin, who identified himself with fallen sinful men, who chose to take upon himself our punishment, who never asked us, how could you? Dale brought up the verse in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we, yet he did not sin. Yet I've never heard the words from him. How could you? Yet we find this God in this hour, in this power of darkness, was led like a lamb to the slaughter that we might be set free. You know, in, in what we believe is the church, item five, it says the work of Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ, as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as a perfect, as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. I'm feeling better reading this one than paragraph three, by the way. I don't know about you guys. All as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sin. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. And the truth in whom we believe, everything hinges upon it. This is the core. This is the core of what we hold dear in this church. The principle is this. Man's depravity is overcome at the cross. I get an amen. Somebody give me an amen. Man's depravity is overcome at the cross. If you like baseball, the ball just went over the 400 marker. And it's in the bleachers, by the way. You know, he just spiked it. There's an amen. If you're with Charles, he did what the wrestling drop kick like body slam. The guy has no air left in his lungs. He's out of air. He's sucking for wind. Man's depravity is overcome at the cross. 
So when the hour recorded in Luke 22, in the power of this darkness, wicked evil men intended to harm God's one and only son, but God intended it for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And instead of Christ asking us, how could you? How could you? We don't hear the words. We don't hear the words. How could you deny We don't hear those words. But maybe, maybe we could change this around. Maybe we could look at him and say, how could you? How could you not deny those who denied you? How could you not abandon those who abandoned you? How could you not have turned your back? on those who fell asleep in your hour of greatest need? How could you not reject those who reject you? How could you give your life for somebody who couldn't give a rip? How could you love us in this way? And this is the gospel. This is the good news for us. So today, we don't hear the condemning words, how could you? Yet maybe as we approach Easter, as we come to Palm Sunday, maybe in wonder and amazement, we could start to ask him, how could you? Let me pray. Lord, I, I, I thank you so much. I don't know any of these guys, the inside of their hearts, but I know mine. And I can ask the words fairly, how could you? We, uh, we thank you, because I don't, I don't have answers. Your, your grace is irrational. It's not justified. It doesn't make sense. Yet, yet, we in your midst receive it, and I don't have to understand it, and I embrace it. I thank you. I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.